And turn your, in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. We're going we're gonna to spend the bulk of our time there. Colossians um, is in the New Testament towards the end of your Bible. Um, uh, it's one of Paul's epistles, and so it's around Romans and Philippians and Ephesians. So if you're in that area, um, it's, uh, you're, you're, you're pretty close. And I just want to um, just reiterate kind of what, uh, what Nick said. Second uh, Timothy talks about um, how um, a lineage of faith uh, through Timothy's grandmother Lois and uh, through his mother Eunice. Um, and so I just want to, want to thank the, the, the women in this church. Your faith is, is, is a gift from God. Um, and we need you. Uh, you are so vital, so important to the church, and so we thank God for you and all the faithful women in this church, and your, your faithfulness, your commitment to the Lord is, is going to affect generations to come, as we see in Second Timothy, and so thank you, women. Uh, happy, happy Mother's Day. So a few years ago, Uh, A survey was done um, where um, they asked 2,000 British youth, ages 11 to 18, they asked them a a whole bunch of different questions uh, about Jesus and about religion, um, about God. Only 54% of these youth described Jesus as a real person who ever lived. 27% called him a mythical or a fictional character. Of those that actually believed that Jesus was real, only 30% thought that Jesus was God in human form. The most popular belief in this survey was that Jesus was a prophet or religious leader, but not God. And 18% said he was just a normal human being. So if we break it down... On average, only 16% of youth believe that Jesus is real and that he is God. And it it goes on to say that, that most youth, most of them don't believe that the resurrection actually occurred. However, the survey results also showed that over 50% of these youth considered themselves Christians. So here are people um, who call themselves Christians, but they don't actually hold to a biblical understanding of who Jesus is. And so I just want to ask before we dive in, uh, whether you consider yourself a Christian or not, who do you say that Jesus is? Is he a religious teacher who gives us good, profound sayings to help us process life? Uh, Was he a nice guy that taught us how to love one another? Who do you say that Jesus is? And so with that in mind, let's stand as we read. Uh, We're going to read in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 and through 20. And we stand out of reverence for God. This is God's word, and we hold ourselves to it, and we submit to it. And so we stand in honor. Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers 
or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Let's pray. God, you are good and you are real. Um, And Lord, as we read through this um, lofty statement of who you are, Lord, uh, we we, we struggle to even comprehend it of what all this means. Uh, Lord, would you help us? Lord, as we take a look and we study your word and we listen to the preaching of your word, would you change our hearts, not just, not just fill us with more information, Lord, but would you transform the way that we live? Would you transform the way that we see you? Would you transform the way that we love others around us? Heavenly Father, you are good and you are exalted and you are preeminent. Help us to live in such a way. God, you are good. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please be seated. So before we we break down, and we're going to kind of walk through this a little bit verse by verse, before we break it down, I wanted to look at the whole of what's going on. So look at um, here in chapter 1. Most scholars believe that, that this section was an early song or an early poem, uh, much like we uh, recite the Apostles' Creed. It was believed that the early church kind of recited this in, in memorization. And what we are looking at here is, is, the best way to describe it, is a preeminence sandwich. Okay? I love sandwiches. This is a preeminence sandwich. And preeminent, we're going to use that word a lot today, simply means uh, one to which we give the highest honor the one we revere, the most significant, the one in whom there is none higher, the one who is preeminent in our life is the one we must follow above all else, whose decisions and teachings we trust the most. So what Paul is doing here is, he, as, as a good writer, he, he starts by saying his main idea, his main idea in verse uh, 15 And then he states reasons why you should accept his main idea. And then he says his main idea again. So that's where the sandwich comes in. Main idea, reasons why, main idea. So verses 16 and 17 give us reasons why we should trust that Christ is the image of God and the firstborn of creation. And then in verse 18, he says in there again that he might be preeminent. He is the firstborn from the dead. So do you see that firstborn, firstborn? There's our sandwich. You're going to be hungry here in a little bit. And so he has 15 and then 16 and 17 to give him the reasons why. And then as Paul often does, um, he makes his main idea, gives some reasons, and then he, he, he just can't contain himself. And so he gives us another reason in verse 18 as well. So Paul begins by saying, this is his main idea, by saying that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. 
See, he says Jesus is the image of God. If you want to know who God is or what he is like, Jesus shows us God. Hebrews 1.3 says that he, or Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. John 1.14, we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John 1.18, no one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side, but he, Jesus, has made him known. John 14, 8, Philip comes and he says, Lord, show us the Father and it would be enough for us. And Jesus answers, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. 2 Corinthians 4, uh, Jesus would give us the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. If you want to know what God is like, look to Jesus. He perfectly demonstrates who God is. He reveals the nature of God. He reveals the character of God. He reveals the emotions of God. He reveals uh, the justice of God. He, He shows us what God cares about. He reveals how God loves and views sinners like you and me. See, Jesus reveals God. He is God who put on flesh to be with us. If we see Jesus, we see God himself. One theologian says it this way, nothing is more fully and clearly revealed in the gospel that Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God. There is no God in heaven who is unlike Jesus. Jesus is the image of God. But also Jesus says that uh, uh, twice, uh, or Paul says twice, that Jesus is the firstborn. And before we move on, I, we've got to stop here, because if we misunderstand this term firstborn, um, that can do some really dangerous things for our theology and what we believe about God, and so we've got to, we've got to look at it. First of all, firstborn, what it does not mean. It does not mean that Jesus was the first created or first born thing in the universe. It doesn't mean that Jesus was uh, created first and then from him he created everything else. He is God himself, the second person of the Trinity. Jesus is eternal. There was never a time where Jesus did not exist. John 1.1 1, 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And this is where both the the LDS, or the the Mormon Church, and Jehovah's Witnesses, this is where they they err um, in their understanding of Jesus. Their doctrine holds that Jesus was created and then attained godness over time. He became God. He was created by the Father and then attained godness over time. And it's verses like this one in Colossians or John 1, uh, or when we see that Jesus, when he responds to the Pharisees, he says, before Abraham was, I am. 
And this is why we believe Jesus is eternal. See, if he was created, then he has to rely on something else for his very existence, some sort of outside force. But Jesus, Jesus is the self-sufficient Lord of all creation. The Nicene Creed from the 4th century which established orthodox teaching on Jesus, says it this way, I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, begotten, not made, consubstantial with the Father, or of the same substance of the Father. So what firstborn means here um, is that Jesus is the most important. At this time, the firstborn son received all the inheritance, and he was in control of the family's wealth and decisions. So what Paul is saying here is that Jesus has all authority as the firstborn, as the first and foremost. See, Jesus is incomparable and matchless in his glory and power. Jesus is supreme over all. There is none in all creation that equals him, and he deserves complete honor and worship above all else. Amen is right. There is nothing that can contain him. There is nothing that can control him. There is nothing that rivals his wisdom. There is nothing that can compete with him. Jesus is the firstborn. Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So, this is how Paul starts this section. That's my introduction, so we're moving slowly. Um, but Jesus is the image of God, and he is the supreme in all the universe. So why is that? Why is Paul saying Jesus is the firstborn of all creation? Why is he saying he is uh, uh, overall, supreme overall, has authority overall? Well, let's look at verse 15. I'm sorry, 16, verse 16. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So Jesus is preeminent over all because he created all things. How many things did Jesus create? All things, exactly. All. Everything. All things were made through him. And without him, John says this in, in his gospel, uh, without him was not anything made that was made. Jesus is supreme over all because he created everything. Everything. Do, are, you guys, are you guys tracking with me? Ev everything. Every single thing. See, Jesus created things we can see. He created the Grand Canyon. He created trees. He created birds and animals. He created dogs. He created rivers. He created the planet Mars, the oceans, the galaxies, spiders, snakes, bears. He created humans, you and me. He spoke into existence everything, everything we can see. He also created things we don't see. He created the angelic powers. He created magnetism and gravity. 
He created plant cells and animal smells, uh, animal cells rather. He <laughs> he created those two. Um, he created the climate. He created the wind. If you can experience it, Jesus created it. And it's for this reason that we believe that creation is not ultimate. The physical world is not all that there is. There is not a mother earth that we have to answer to. We are not materialists that say that the only things that actually exist is the physical world. The physical world that we can touch and see. We, we believe that there's something more. And the world at times seems very powerful. Hurricanes flood entire towns, tornadoes lift up entire houses with ease, wildfires rage out of control. It all answers to Jesus. Jesus also created thrones and dominions and rulers and authorities. And this is on, on one level, on the spiritual realm, Jesus, uh, Hebrews uh, said that Jesus created angels, and uh, Hebrews goes on to talk about Jesus' superior, superiority over the angels. Jesus created Satan, who chose pride and fell with the other demons. But, but do not think for a second that the devil has any comparable power to Jesus. We've often heard in our world of this dualistic view of, of Jesus and, and Satan. They're, they're battling it out. They're, we don't know who's going to win, but they're battling it out. There, there's no competition. As we saw earlier in, in Job, Satan needs permission to ask to do anything. And one day, Satan will be thrown in the fire with a simple flick by Christ. Thrones and dominions and rulers and authority also mean the secular governments and political systems. Now, of course, here in America, when we hear Jesus created, a, a, you know, created government, we, we go, well, absolutely he did. Of course Jesus created America, right? Jesus created the Roman Empire. He created France. He created Britain. He created Brazil. He created North Korea. He created Iran. He creates all thrones and authorities. He created the Washington state government. <laughs> and the governments are not an accident. He created them and they all answer to him. See, government seems so overwhelmingly powerful at times. It seems as if there is nothing we can do to stop the juggernaut of the state. But see, what Paul is saying here is that government has a ruler. They will have to give an account to Jesus. Pilate, when he's questioning Jesus, he says, Do you not know that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? And do you know what Jesus says? you would have no authority unless it had been given to you from above. Jesus rules all the nations. See, when my brother and I were a kid, we had, we had, we had Hot Wheels. And 
the Hot Wheels, we had a, a long track, and the, the track that we had had like the motor on it, so when the car goes through it, it just zips it really far and really fast forward. Um, now, those cars shot really fast, but they could only go where me and my brother had built the track. They could do loops, they could do turns, but they were only going where we had built the track. In the same way, in a similar way, uh, the, the government can seem to be chaotic, it can seem to shoot forward, and it's left to its own devices, but in reality, it's contained exactly to the way that God has directed it. So many Christians in America tend to be so afraid we are afraid of the government. We are afraid that they will take away our rights. We are afraid of society. We are afraid of the evil of the world. But, but Timberline, Jesus wins. He is in control. In the book of Revelation, the government is depicted as a beast that comes out of the sea, and everyone worships it and says, who is like this beast? Who can fight against it? And Jesus comes riding on a white horse and says, I am the king of kings, and governments dissolve. This is why we as Christians don't put all of our trust in the government or a particular political party or a polit political leader. We don't put all of our hope in the lowly assistant manager when we know who the CEO is. The government does not go an inch further than that they are allowed to by God. When we fear governments, we, we, we fail to remember who is actually in control. Jesus has authority over everything because he created everything. And often the, 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 the Bible uses the, the imagery of a, a, a potter forming clay into a pot. In the same way, Jesus commands everything because Jesus created everything. Jesus has supreme, supreme control over all the cosmos by virtue of creation, but also by virtue of preservation. Let's take a look at verse 17. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. See, not only does God create all things, he sustains all things. He keeps the earth turning. He is the one that makes sure the sun rises every day. He keeps the plants growing. He makes sure the, the birds find food. He makes sure that the flowers open in the spring. Jesus does not merely make everything and then leave it to operate by itself as some machine, uh, but he is constantly tending to his creation and providing for his creation. Jonathan Edwards uh, says it this way, his glory, Jesus' glory was manifested not only in creation, but also in the present time. As God, he is the one who sustains creation without his willing its existence, creation would simply disappear into nothing. A few years ago, I was sitting on the couch, and uh, my middle child was, um, she was building a tower with blocks, and I was sitting there watching her. I think I was drinking coffee at the time. Uh, I was just sitting there watching her, and she's building this tower, and it'd fall down. She'd get frustrated, um, and she'd 
start to build it again. Eventually, she made a tower that was like two, almost three feet tall. And then just about as she was finished, my, my youngest comes around the corner. And she was about two at the time. Um, and she looked at her sister and she looked at the tower and her eyes lit up. But it was not the light of amazement, it was the light of destruction. <laughs> and she comes running in, her sister doesn't see her, comes running in and just starts swinging and kicking and the tower comes crashing down. See, there's no out, other outside force that Jesus cannot control that is going to send creation crashing down. Studies are consistently showing that those under the age of 25 are some of the most depressed, some of the most uh, uh, lonely, some of the most anxious generation in the history of the world. And it makes sense, in part, because us adults tell them almost every other week that the world is going to end in some new and different way. Climate change is going to make the world uninhabitable by 2050. The bees are dying off, and so there'll be no food by 2040. Massive volcanoes and earthquakes are expected to blow at any moment and end all life on Earth. The Earth will be overpopulated in 100 years. And see, it's, it's verses like this one in Colossians that we need to tell our children who are constantly getting hammered by the hopeless view of the future. Jesus holds everything together. Do we need to be good stewards of creation and, and care for it as a gift? Absolutely. Can humans do significant damage to our environment? Absolutely. However, this earth will not last. I'm sorry, this earth will last. That's a key distinction. This earth will last for as long as Jesus has deemed it to last. And then on the day of the Lord, the heavens and the earth will pass away like a robe. They're going to be rolled up and all things will be made new, a new heavens and a new earth. Jesus has complete power to create and he has complete power to hold all things together. There's something we need to address, though, with this text. As I was pre preparing this sermon, it was screaming out to me, and it might be screaming out to some of you now. Jake, take a look at the world. Take a look outside. Does it, does it really look like Jesus is in control? Honestly, does it? People are being slaughtered daily in Ukraine and so many places throughout the world. Sickness is everywhere. Mass shootings seem to happen every day. An earthquake just flattened half of Syria and crushed thousands of people. We speak of Jesus having power and control in the church, but when we, when we look outside, it seems like pure chaos. Jesus, if you are in control, why is the world like this? When are you going to end up, when are you going to bring to an end all the pain and the suffering? See, what happened was that God created everything. He created the heavens 
and the earth and all that is in them. Everything he made was good. And as our maker, he deserved complete obedience and submission. But the first humans, Adam and Eve, did not want to live under or trust in the good authority of God. And they sought to establish their own authority apart from God. They sinned, and they chose their own way. They said, we don't want to obey, obey our maker, but instead we want to trust in ourselves. And as a result, creation cracked and broke. Curses were placed on the land, so now nature would be against us. Human relationships would be infected by selfishness and pride and hate. We would be blinded to the glory of God, so we would then in turn seek our satisfaction in other things and put our hope in the wrong things. God's good creation was broken by us. Sin has infected and affected everything. Jesus has supreme authority over all the cosmos because he created it, he sustains it, but lastly, because he redeems it. Look at verse 19. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Matthew Henry, a 17th century pastor, says that only the agent of creation is sufficient to be the redeemer of creation. See, Jesus did not merely create the universe. He does not merely keep it spinning. He does that, but that's not the only thing he does. He does not merely stand at a distance and admire his work, but Jesus enters into creation. The fullness of God puts on flesh and dwells among us. Chapter 2 of Colossians says that the whole fullness of God dwells bodily in Jesus. The Creator clothed Himself with creation. Why? To fix what is broken. He came to reconcile to Himself all things and bring peace to redeem his people. Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, came into the world to save sinners. Jesus Christ bore in his body on the cross our sins that we might be uh, dead to sin and live to righteousness. He made peace by the blood of his cross. He came into the world to save us. And you can believe that the God who has the power to create the universe with his words is fully capable of saving you. Matthew Henry continues on where he says, There was such a value, there was such a value in the blood of Christ that on the account of Christ shedding it, God was willing to deal with men on new terms, to pardon and accept them into his favor all who would come to him. See, Jesus does not merely see you as something he created. You are not merely the pot that was formed out of clay and then put on a shelf to be looked at. But through the cross, we see that he loves you and that he redeems you 
and that he has done everything that is required to reconcile you to himself. He sees you not merely as a created being, but as a son or a daughter, and he brings us into the family. He has purchased you with his very blood. It says here in verse uh, uh, 20 that, that, that Jesus reconciled to himself all things, whether in earth or in heaven. See, the cross meant redemption for us individually, but it also means redemption for the entire universe. Where sin infected and affected everything, the cross means redemption for everything. Colossians 2 says that through the cross, Jesus disarms the authorities and rulers and triumphs over them. Jesus fixes what is broken. And we don't see it yet. But there is coming a day when sin will be completely removed and the entire universe will be remade. There will be no more tears. There will be no more death. There will be no more mourning, nor crying, nor pain. Church, trust in Jesus. Give him supreme authority in your life. Give him all of your everything. Love him with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength. Nothing else can fix what is broken, and nothing else is worth your complete trust. Things are not the way they are supposed to be, but Jesus is making all things new. Put your hope in Jesus. Listen to the, the, the songs that in heaven. Uh, it, Revelation has this, uh, the songs that we'll sing in the future, and we're going to sing to Christ, the supreme authority over all. Look at, look at some of these songs. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Worthy are you, O our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. Why? For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Worthy are you, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed a people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign over the earth. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And finally, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Amen? So who do you say that Jesus is? The Bible says that he is God, preeminent over all. If that's true, if that's true, you have to do something with Jesus. You cannot shy away from him. You can't set him aside like some historical figure. If he has supreme authority over everything, you cannot escape him. Our pastor back in Tucson used to always say, Jesus is the one you have to deal with. You have to do something with him. If he is God, then you have to give your everything for him because he is worth it. In Timberline, he is the only thing worth it. Amen? Let's pray. God, you are preeminent 
over all. You have authority over all. Um, Lord, uh, we, we see you and, and, and we want to know you better, Lord, but we need you. Lord, as we take communion now, would you be with us? Will you help us to see your grandeur and your might and your power and your authority, but also your love? Lord, you are preeminent over all. Help us to live in the way. In Jesus' name, amen. Now we're going to take communion, so I'm going to invite the ushers up. Uh, They're going to uh, dismiss you row by row to come up, grab communion, and then we'll all take it together um, in a moment.